0: Helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. In the 1960s, the term the man was a moniker for the anonymous person in some nebulous bureaucracy trying to control your life. For the rebels of those days, standing up to the man was a badge of honor. Today, not only does it seem that standing up is an exception, not the rule, but those who called for that stand are now the man, and more than willing to crush those who oppose him. This episode, I want to talk about the role of the federal judiciary, and then I have an interview with a young man who, with the help of his father and an attorney, is standing up to the man in his own school. This type of stand is exactly why we have a federal judiciary. The question is, will the American people stand up and use it? Well, hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free. I'm so glad you could join me today. I'm really looking forward to this interview. But before that, I, I've been working on a three-part series uh about the the three branches of government. And today, well, today we've got the third and final installment. Uh, This is the one of the federal judiciary. Like many of you, I've watched courtroom dramas, read about federal court decisions, and drawn conclusions about how the courts work. Then I read the Constitution and learned just how wrong that education I had received was. Let's start with the creation of the federal judiciary. The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as a Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. The judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior and shall at stated times receive for their services a compensation which shall not be diminished during their continuance in office. Just as a legislative branch was created in Article 1 and the executive in Article 2, the judicial branch is created in Article 3. Now, what is this judicial power that has been vested by this article? From Webster's 1828 Dictionary, we find the judiciary is that branch of government which is concerned in the trial and determination of controversies between parties and of criminal prosecutions, the system of courts of justice in a government. The role of the judiciary is twofold, the prosecution of crimes and the determination of controversies. While the prosecution of federal crimes does happen in the federal judiciary, most of the cases we see coming out of these courts have to do with controversies, disputes, or disagreements. That means, as I believe more than one Supreme Court nominee has stated, the role of the courts is primarily that of an umpire. Now picture this. A base runner is charging toward home plate. The catcher is standing over the plate, waiting to receive the throw from the outfield. In less than a second, the ball enters the catcher's mitt, and he immediately sweeps down to tag the runner, sliding into home plate with his arm outstretched to sweep across it. The base runner believes he is safe, while the catcher believes he tagged the runner out. We have a controversy. What we need is a disinterested third party, someone who knows the rules and can look at the evidence to decide the controversy. This is the role of the umpire. He knows the rules of the game. Things like... The ball must be in the mitt to legally tag someone out, and that the base runner must physically touch home plate. The umpire also has access to the evidence and the memory of what he observed in the split second interaction. Based on this information, he must decide if the runner is safe or out. Then the umpire will announce this decision with a a grand gesture and a loud call. And to no one's surprise, the loser of the decision will immediately confront the umpire to appeal it. Possibly even appealing to other judges to confirm their position. This is actually a very good analogy of how the federal judicial system should work. A person is charged with a crime or files a lawsuit for a redress of some grievance. The plaintiff, in the case of a suit, believes that he has been aggrieved and is looking for a court to agree with him, while the accused, called the defendant, believes they have done nothing wrong. In a criminal case, the prosecutor believes the laws of the government have been aggrieved by the defendant. Both sides come before a judge, someone who is supposed to be a neutral third party who's familiar with the law. Sometimes the judge will make the final decision, but in the case of a crime or some civil suits, the decision will actually be made by a jury, and the judge is there to make sure the two parties follow the law in the courtroom. The parties to the case present evidence and the law to show they are correct. Now, while a jury trial is a bit different, in a judicial trial, the judge makes his or her decision on the controversy. Often, one party will not be happy with the decision, sometimes leading them to appeal to a higher court, which explains the beginning of Section 1. The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. See, the Constitution only creates a single court, a Supreme Court. Notice, the S in Supreme is not capitalized. That's because it's an adjective. It modifies the noun court. It wasn't until the formation of this court before it was given the name Supreme Court, a proper noun. Congress creates all of the inferior courts, giving them the names District and Circuit Courts. There's another very important phrase in Section 1, and it's not that the judges get paid. The judges, both of the Supreme and Inferior Courts, shall hold their offices during good behavior. We've been taught for so many years that federal judges have lifetime appointments. This lie has been repeated often enough that it's believed to be true, but federal judges only hold their offices during their good behavior. Who decides what good behavior is? Congress, through the impeachment process. Section 2 of Article 3 deals with the question of jurisdiction, or the limits within which the judicial power of the United States may be exercised. The judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution, the laws of the United States and treaties made, or which shall be made under their authority, to all cases affecting ambassadors and other public ministers and councils, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, to controversies to which the United States shall be a party, to controversies between two or more states, between a state and citizens of another state, between citizens of different states, between citizens of the same state claiming lands under grants of different states, and between a state or the citizens thereof, and foreign states, citizens, or subjects. The federal court can only legally deal with cases that come up under the Constitution laws or treaties made by the United States, or cases involving foreign actors, such as ambassadors or public ministers, where the United States is a party or a controversy between the states. Controversies between a state and citizens of another state was changed with the 11th Amendment, which reads, The judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend any suit in law or equity Commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. The federal courts are further broken down between their original and appellate jurisdictions. From Section 2 of Article 3, we see In all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and councils, and those in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction. In all the other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction both as to law and fact, with such exceptions and under such regulations, as a Congress shall make. Cases involving ambassadors, public ministers, or where a state is a party to the case, go directly to the Supreme Court, since they have original jurisdiction. Now, all of the cases go to an inferior court first, but then can be appealed up to the Supreme Court. That is, unless Congress creates an exception or a regulation to that jurisdiction. Lastly, the Constitution deals with the type and location of trials. The trial of all crimes except in cases of impeachment shall be by jury, and such trials shall be held in the state where said crimes shall have been committed. But when not committed within any state, the trial shall be at such place or places as the Congress may by law have directed. With the sole exception of impeachment, federal criminal trials must be jury trials. Such trials are to be held in the state where the crime or crimes were committed. And if the crime did not occur in a state, Congress has the power to pass laws to determine where such a trial is to be held. Lastly, Article 3 deals with the question of treason. Treason against the United States shall consist only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. The Congress shall have power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attained. The word treason is thrown around a lot lately. However, I remind people that within the United States, treason has a very specific definition levying war or giving aid and comfort to the enemies of the United States. The word enemy is bandied about quite readily as well. Yet it too has a specific definition, not from the Constitution, but from the language of the time, where we find enemy is a foe, an adversary. A private enemy is one who hates another and wishes him injury or attempts to do him injury or to gratify his own malice or ill will. A public enemy or foe is one who belongs to a nation or party at war with another. Since the United States is a public entity, then its enemies are public as well. That means enemies of the United States are those who belong to a nation or party at war with it. Now, Congress gets to decide the punishment for treason, but no punishment shall wear corruption of blood, meaning the loss of the ability to inherit a land, or to extend beyond the life of the convicted. In general, this language is to prevent the punishment of treason from extending to the family of the convicted. That's it. Those are all the powers delegated to the third branch of government. But there is one point that is passed into law that we need to deal with before we conclude. The Supreme Court is the last court of appeal, but that does not make their opinions the supreme law of the land. From Article 6, Clause 2, the Supremacy Clause, we read, This Constitution, and the laws of the United States which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. See, the Supremacy Clause lists three things that are the supreme law of the land the Constitution, the laws of the United States made following the Constitution, and treaties made under the authority of the United States, which is established by the Constitution. Notice what you don't see the opinion of a court. Now, people may call them rulings, but they are nothing but opinions. They may even call them case law, but they are not law because if you remember when we covered the role of Congress, All legislative or lawmaking power is vested in them, not the courts. Again, from Article 1, Section 1, we read, All legislative power herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. With all the impact the courts routinely have in our lives, why did I refer to them as the weakest branch of government in the introduction? Because they are, at least according to Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Paper 78. Whoever attentively considers the different departments of power must perceive that, in a government in which they are separated from each other, the judiciary, from the nature of its functions, will always be the least dangerous to the political rights of the Constitution, because it will be least in capacity to annoy or injure them. The executive not only dispenses the honors, but holds the sword of the community. The legislature not only commands the purse, but prescribes the rules by which the duties and rights of every citizen are to be regulated. The judiciary, on the contrary, has no influence over either the sword or the purse, no direction either of the strength or of the wealth of the society, and can take no active resolution whatever. It may truly be said to have neither force nor will, but merely judgment, and must ultimately depend upon the aid of the executive arm, even for the efficacy of its judgments. If, as Alexander Hamilton says, the courts have neither force nor will, only judgment, then why do many call their decisions rulings? I'm sure there are several theories behind that, but to me, the answer is the elevation of stare decisis over the law. The Free Legal Dictionary defines stare decisis as Latin for let the decision stand, the policy of courts to abide by or adhere to principles established by decisions in earlier cases. While often used interchangeably, stare decisis is different than precedent, which is defined as a court decision that is cited as an example or analogy to resolve similar questions of law in latter cases. The Anglo-American common law tradition is built on the doctrine of stare decisis, standby decided matters, which directs a court to look to past decisions for guidance on how to decide a case before it. This means that the legal rules applied to a prior case with facts similar to those of the case now before a court should be applied to resolve the legal dispute. See, precedent is a simple matter of looking to past cases for guidance to help decide a case whereas stare decisis is the idea that previous decisions should be abided by. The problem with stare decisis is it assumes previous decisions are both legal and correct. By following stare decisis, it has become very difficult, often turbulent, for a court to decide a case based on the actual law rather than the opinions of their predecessors. The elevation of stare decisis has also led to a form of Gnosticism within our legal system. From Merriam Webster's online dictionary, we read that Gnosis means esoteric knowledge of spiritual truth held by the ancient Gnostics to be essential to salvation. The idea of the Gnostics was that they had special knowledge of spiritual truth. The Gnostic ideas in our legal system today are that the judges have special knowledge of the law and that attorneys are there to walk your case through the vagaries of that special knowledge. That's why so many people believe they need an attorney to file a lawsuit or to defend themselves in a criminal case. The complications of the actual law make those actions difficult enough, but mix in the Gnostic knowledge of case law, and the legal field has created a barrier to entry for all but the most dedicated, thereby keeping everyday Americans ignorant of both the law and the rights. How are we to approach this weakest branch of government? We start by reminding people that, with the exception of jury trials, the decision of a court is an opinion, nothing more we must relearn what Alexander Hamilton taught us, that the courts control neither the purse nor the sword and must ultimately depend upon the aid of the executive arm, even for the efficacy of its judgments. Understanding this may help as we wade through the morass of political doublespeak that inundates us every day. The role of the courts is that of an umpire, making decisions based on the law using the facts presented to them. Today, we have elevated their decisions beyond law into rulings as if they were kings and queens on high. It'd be one thing if the decisions were based on the law, rather than the rantings of their predecessors. Read a Supreme Court opinion, and you'll rarely find the Constitution quoted. Even when it's referenced, it's almost always the quotation of an opinion of a previous court. We used to have courts of justice. Then we had courts of law. Today, we have courts of opinions. How can the United States be a republic? if we are ruled not by the law, but by the opinions of nine high priests in black robes. So there you have it. You have a background, a basis for understanding the role of the judiciary. After the break, we'll have our interview with the young man that's uh, filed a federal lawsuit against his school. Before I go, though, you know, do you wake up tired? Do you have a hard time getting to sleep like I do when I travel? Well, if you want to fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deeply so you can wake up refreshed, try Healthy Cell's REM Sleep Supplement. It is the only sleep supplement designed to support all four stages of sleep. Now, as an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off of your order of REM Sleep or anything from Healthy Cell. Just go to AmericaOutloud.shop, find the Healthy Cell card, and click on it for all the, inst- the directions. Please go to healthycell.com, check out REM sleep, or put any of their products in your cart. Then, when you check out, use that code out loud. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud, and as a thank you, you get 25% off your first order.
1: out loud.
2: You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe. Air loaded with bacteria, viruses and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com.
3: The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body. And now they found the solution. The Miracle Enzyme Natokinase. and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order.
0: Welcome back. Every day the American join the Constitution Study. And I keep telling you, this is where we read and study the Constitution. We teach the rising generation to be free. We have one of those rising generations joining us today. I talked to you last week about a, a California case of a young man who Stood up against the man at school, and I have him on the program with us. H, thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming here to the Constitution study. It's
4: a pleasure to be on here. Sorry. Thank you for having us, Paul.
0: Thank you. I guess it's a little weird doing this. I'm, you're you're so welcome. So, H, um, I was reading this article, and I was impressed. By the fact that you you stood up for your rights, and um, some of the quotes I thought were were, I would have expected them out of an adult. That him doing this for a while. Uh, I love the line that uh, my rights don't end where your fear starts, or my I'm sorry, my freedom doesn't end where your fear starts. Th- did you you said that to to an adult in this, right?
4: I don't remember, but I do remember wearing a shirt that says that.
0: I said that's what you are duty. So can you tell us just a little bit about what happened at school to kind of get this all started?
4: Okay, well, let's see. When it all started, kindergarten, I didn't know what I was doing, but let's go to first grade. In first grade, well, I was wearing a mask, and then I just realized it was all about hard to breathe. So I was kind of listening to my parents and about the news a little bit. And then when I figured out the masks doesn't really do anything, except for make it hard to breathe. So I against it. So- and I showed up to school One day, and I saw not this one. Yeah, I showed up to school one day with a little paper that shows Governor Gavin Newsom not wearing a mask with the fifty thousand people at the football game, and then well since i watched and then i show up with that little paper and then i come to class i hold it up and i say we don't have to wear masks anymore and then the teach
0: where did you where did you where did you learn to to uh actually stand up for what was right where did you learn to look at this and say if it's good enough for the governor to not wear a mask, why is it? Why do I have to wear a mask? Where'd you learn that?
4: I guess I just learned it from myself. I just felt like, how come I don't have to wear? It? How come I have to wear a mask,
0: but he doesn't? Hmm. So, Dad, now now you're the obviously because you're the adult h is a minor you're you're suing in in you know for him um what was your reaction when h was coming home telling you what was going on at school
1: uh you know i mean disbelief um the the biggest thing was when I got the the like a decision tree flowchart piece of paper from them um and I knew immediately when I read it that it was unconstitutional where they uh, stated that Uh, in order for him to go to in-person class that he had to either be vaccinated or submit to weekly testing so there's no way that's constitutional you can't borrow children from in-person education uh, you know and and having the gate be one of two medical procedures not in america
0: especially untested and, and and unapproved medical procedures yeah that's that's something so um you 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 filed suit now h how old are you now eight eight so this started if i remember correctly you were seven when this adventure started um you know i I, i'm sorry i I was reading the article i love some of the lines you had you didn't want that big thing up your nose i can't say that i blame you uh so well let me talk let's talk to to the lawyer the uh Ms. uh tracy henderson You are representing uh, H and and Justin, and and tell us a little bit about the case and where it stands, if you would.
2: Hi, Paul, thanks for having us. So H sued Scotts Valley Unified School District uh, late last year on several claims, including false imprisonment, negligence, violation of his state and constitutional rights. The opposition attacked the complaint so you know when you sue somebody you have 30 days to respond and that response could be just to answer and deny the claims or that response could be to attack the claims and in california that's called a demur so they demurred and the judge ruled that we needed to fix a few things so we fixed a few things And then we filed an amended complaint, and the opposition came at us again trying to say that the school district had the authority to stick a child in a storage closet and humiliate them in front of their peers and all kinds of send them to the office every day to hang out under a chair instead of getting instruction. And I wrote him a five-page letter explaining to him that there never was a legal mandate from the California Department of Public Health K-12 because that guidance, that recommendation on how to deal with COVID never went through this wonky set of government codes called the Administrative Procedures Act. And therefore, it was always only a recommendation. And you absolutely couldn't punitively enforce that by sticking a kid in a storage classroom, humiliating him, and then they backed down. And so now we are in discovery phase uh, we found some interesting things in Discovery we can talk about if you want. But the next step is just continuing to do things like depositions and Discovery. We we serve the chief of police of Scotts Valley, a subpoena, because in the first round of Discovery, we got uh, a text message thread between the chief of police and one of the members of the defense. I, we think it's maybe Tanya Krause, the superintendent or the principal. Well, I'm not sure because it's, it's not good text message d- discovery. But so we subpoenaed him to see what else he was doing to harass this family in conjunction with Scotts Valley Unified School District and that kind of thing. So we're just plugging along. We're trying to get this to mediation and trial uh, so we can get the rest of the story told.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You talk about the Administrative Procedures Act. I would say it violates uh, it violates enough of the Constitution. I mean, you've got the uh, um, the the unreasonable seizures under fourth amendment you've got the due process clause you know he's being deprived of liberty that the property he would gain from an education without due process of law they they you know we we forget that in the the constitutional system that our founders created the government has the burden of proof before they infringe and that just wasn't there. So uh, you're, it sounds like you're still relatively early in the case. You're still dealing with discovery. Any, uh, you, you said you, you found a couple things that were interesting. Can you give us a little bit of a hint?
2: Yeah, I think they're very powerful pieces of information. I mean, I mean to the educators in California's credit, they were bullied by the government into believing that they had to to had to implement these COVID protocols of masking, testing, and quarantining when they legally had no authority to do so. But the sad story is some, you know, just like there's bad lawyers out there, bad educators took it too far, like in H's case, and hurt these hurt these kids, you know? So um, what was even more interesting is one of the tactics that some educators used across the state, and it didn't, it wasn't just here, was to threaten to call CPS on these families. And we have an email from the president of the board of Scotts Valley Unified asking the superintendent about using that tactic. And I love the way Justin phrases it, weaponizing the, the State Department of Child Protective Services against parents. They're already weaponized against parents. They're a very dangerous organization. They they do not protect. They often ruin families. And I can say that from, you know, I used to represent kids in the dependency system. So there's a lot of problems there. So to weaponize CPS to, to say what to what like come out and put them in the CPS system of inquiry and harassment for for just and taking his child healthy child to school without a mask. I mean that that thinking is scary. Coming from the president of the board of Scotts Valley Unified, that man needs to be voted out next next season and he was communicating with the superintendent tanya kraus and tanya kraus said oh i already thought of that we already looked into that so tanya kraus is, is the superintendent of the school district and she needs to be fired if one of her tools in her toolbox is to weaponize cps against parents that's not what the point of a school district and then i alluded to the other one up harassing him in March pretty significantly and put themselves at risk for another civil lawsuit from this family. Well, you know,
0: I'm looking at this saying there's an obvious deprivation of rights under color of law. I mean if they're talking about going, especially if they're talking about going to CPS, um that's not simply a a civil issue. That's a criminal issue. That's a you know that's that's 18 USC 242 and again, since th- you have the the potential of two conspiring, that's two forty one. Those are those are criminal charges that could be placed. Um, you're still early in this. Have have you considered that? Yeah,
2: this is a civil setting, though. This is a civil setting. You'd have to get you know. Remember, the district attorney or the attorney general are the folks who charge crimes, and you'd have to get them on board. And we have we have a woke ag in the state of California who's spending his time going after school boards for curriculum issues. So that'll never happen. Um, But even more important, you know, the CPS has the power to terminate parental rights. They often abuse that power and they're connected to some very evil things in our culture that I'm not going to get into here. So you just do not involve CPS. It's like you don't call the police ever because you just don't on somebody else because they'll come in and you don't speak to the police because if you they don't have a case they'll use what you say there's just
0: certain basic rules in life and calling cps on a parent is one of them it's it's horrible justin you know being a father myself i have to wonder how did you react when you heard about this
1: oh i mean i i went to um district attorney's office i went to I went to the Scotts Valley police department. I had a phone call with the Scotts Valley chief of police, and he said he will not be the tip of the spear in arresting school board members. And you just cited, you just cited there were two criminal, you know, codes there that they, they could have investigated on. And they they didn't. It's disappointing to put it nicely.
0: It yeah. It is sadly, it's not surprising, but it is disappointing. Um, You know, there's part of me looks at this, and and I think one of the the biggest issues as a nation we have is apathy. Uh, How many people simply went along to get along? They weren't willing to stand up and and do anything. And uh, to see uh, a a young man, you know, seven, eight years old, that says, No, this isn't right, and I'm going to say something, to have a dad that supports him, to have an attorney that's willing to work for him, I. Personally want to keep track of, of this case because I find it interesting. I think there's there could be a lot here uh, besides just making sure that um Justin, you and your son are protected, are protected from harassment, both legal and 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 educational. Um, you know, it it, it before we go though, I want to make sure the people that also want to follow the case where can they find out more? Where can they get some information and maybe help support you? Because I'm sure it's not easy going through a, a case like this.
1: Yeah, we started a Give, Send, Go um, a while back. Um, and that's givesendgo.com slash HN. Um, so anybody who wants to quietly support us, um, any donation is greatly appreciated. Um, uh, we could really use that. Um, to help see this thing all the way through uh to the end, wherever that may be. And then more information. I mean, oh go ahead, Tracy. I think
2: yeah, I think those sites allow you to provide updates. Um I know that some of the the survey ones, so we can endeavor to make sure we're providing updates. So if people want to check back there, I don't I don't advertise. Um, so I'm super busy. So we'll we'll endeavor to keep that updated, so that people can go and say, oh, there's a court hearing. Maybe I want to listen in or something, you know, or oh, there's something big coming up. I need to give Justin another five hundred dollars or whatever,
0: you know. Yeah, because it's it's not it's it's not uh, cheap to put on a case like this. And of course, I I don't know, you know, if if you know, you I suppose you'd hope you'd win and be able to recoup. Uh, at least recoup court costs, but that's, there's no guarantee. So definitely, you know, I'll I'll try to find the link and make sure I put it on the page when this goes to podcast. Um, H, do you have any final words for us before we head to commercial?
4: Well, when I refuse to COVID test and let them put the big thing up my nose or get the vaccine, they put me in a storage closet with only a substitute teacher and the details of the what it was like inside the storage closet, stacked desks, stacked chairs, chemicals, cleaning supplies, art supplies, and some other stuff and that definitely did not look normal.
0: You know, uh, it, the
4: wines were sh-
0: that. That yeah that that sounds terrible. It, uh, the The story in the epic time, it's, I think did a pretty good job. Now, one of the things it mentions it, is that you like to read. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Um, do you have a copy of the Constitution?
4: Well, I do definitely know I have a couple books of the Constitution at my house.
0: If if I send you a copy of my book, uh, Studying the Constitution, would you give it a read? Sure. Sure. Excellent. Well, you know, H, Justin, Tracy, thank you for your time. It's an interesting case. If anybody out there wants to follow up more, wants to support this father protecting the rights of his own and his son in, in California, uh, give, send, go.com slash HN um I'll make sure I get the link from you so I can put it in the in the show notes and uh, keep an eye on this keep going with the, watch what's going on because if this can come to a decent outcome in California just imagine what it would do in the rest of the country now I have to take a break I hope you like this interview this nice discussion we have if you want to hear more about this or other of the voices just go to americoutloud.news in fact make it a daily stop for your news and information then take stories and, and articles and podcasts and videos take it all and share it share the good news as well as the not so good news and that is how ladies and gentlemen we secure the blessings of liberty
1: well the out loud
3: truth was the rallying call that started it all america out news was an idea a movement a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled the first amendment is alive and well america out loud talk lady it's a fight for the soul of humanity on either falker with promo code out loud with genesis you're ready for anything
0: Welcome back, everyday Americans, to rejoin the Constitution study. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I thought H was very nice. I mean, he's eight years old, so uh, you know, but to to get on a pro- a program like this and tell us a little bit about his story, and then of course, you know, Justin and and what's happening. I just I can't imagine being a father in that situation. That was pretty tough. And I hope you know I wish the best of luck to them and their attorney. Uh, you know, Tracy Henderson. Um, that's you know I, I I think they've got a good case, but as we know, we're dealing with California, not necessarily known as the most constitutional state. Uh, so um, you know, if we can support them, please go ahead and do so. Uh, like I said, you'll find the give send go. It was um, was it uh, give send go slash hn, I believe, and I'll I'll put the link in the show notes. So when the show posts to podcast, you'll find it on the show page. Uh, you can get links and, and follow along with what's going on. I, I, you know, as as much as I'm sure they could use the money to help fund what they're doing, I think some good comments, some good news, some, some people from around the country that uh, are willing to stand in with them and help them, I think, would also be a great assistance. Uh, so uh, let's, let's take a look while we're talking about courts. Let's talk a little bit more about, about courts. And Of course, Probably the most famous court case going around right now is the D.C. case against Trump. Now, There's been some very interesting things. i listened to a lot of different people, have a lot of different things about it. Um, a lot of it being they're basically criminalizing, uh, expressing an idea that the, the questions the, the legitimacy of an election, which I find very interesting because, well, let's see. And 2000, 2016, uh, we also had a, um, uh, we had people questioning the legitimacy of an election, the legitimacy of a president, and um, they, they they weren't attacked for this. This, this just, and, and the timing, the fact that these cases keep coming out Just as bad news for the Biden administration shows up All of a sudden, boom, there's a new charge Or something new uh, dealing with Trump But this one was interesting, I found this on the Epic Times um, And that's the Jack Smith, the special counsel Who has uh, filed the latest set of charges um, Well, he may have gotten himself a, a little bit caught You see, under the the... The laws of of due process, the defense has the legal right to to be given to be given all information related to the prosecution's case. Now, what this has to deal with is um, uh, a set of videos that were taken at the Mar-a-Lago raid, I believe. So, in their July thirty-first court filing um, the, the, about the classified documents case, they. Mentioned that they had incorrectly claimed back on July 18th at a court hearing that they had provided all the Mar-a-Lago surveillance footage to Mr. Trump's defense attorney as required by law. This is known as the 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 Brady rule, um, but they hadn't. Now, is this a huge thing? Is this like the smoking gun and it's all over? No. This appears to be a simple paperwork mistake. It's a procedural mistake. See, apparently back on July 27th, as they were preparing for this new superseding indictment, they realized that they had, that, that all of the footage had not been processed and, and, and made, made available to the defense. Now, is this a huge thing? No. But again, there's a lot of these little things going on. And, um, you know, sometimes the devil's in the details. What is, you know, what is in the Mar-a-Lago, is there something in the Mar-a-Lago footage that is proof of the um, either malfeasance of the government or that, uh, you know, the, the Trump and his his people were were already working with him? We don't know. We don't know. But it's just another little thing. It's like, yeah, OK, you know, you're already criminalizing questioning a presidential election. Um, you know, now you want to, you know, you know it's like, oops, we made a mistake. Okay, well, at least it got found early, not after the not after the trial. Um, but it's something to keep it, to keep an eye on. Now, if we're talking about that particular case, uh, I find it very interesting. There's a lawyer that most people know, his name is Alan Dershowitz. And um I find him interesting. Uh one because again he's a lawyer he looks at the law he looks at case law not necessarily the constitution so i frequently disagree with him but when it comes to analyzing things based on the law i find his words again interesting they 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 i find them thoughtful so he wrote an article for the the i think it was for the daily caller that's where i found it and uh, he, he opens with this. I can imagine the sound of champagne bottles popping from Martha's Vineyard to Washington, D.C. as President Donald Trump haters celebrate this, his, this third historic federal indictment. If only they were able to drop their partisan blinders and see the grave damage this legal lunacy is doing to our country. He goes on to explain that, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the federal charges have been revealed. And uh, he goes on a little later. He says, yes, Trump's behavior following his 2020 loss was wrong, but was it criminal? Not on the basis of what I've seen so far, that person being, you know, Alan Dershowitz. He says, have no doubt, corrupting the U.S. justice system to punish a former president and current candidate nudges the country ever closer to tribalism, chaos, and collapse. If the attorney general appointed by the incumbent president authorizes the prosecution of the president's chief election rival, The evidence of a serious crime should be overwhelming. His guilt should be clear beyond doubt as to avoid any reasonable suspicion that this prosecution was motivated even in part by partisan considerations. The pragmatic gun must indeed be smoking. again, a little later, he goes, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's indictment of Trump falsely reporting the payment of hush money to adult film star Stormy Daniels is scandalously inept. The legal contortions Bragg performed to criminalize a possibly immoral yet perfectly legal payoff are too convoluted to recount here. Evidence related to Trump's alleged illegal retention of classified materials at Mar-a-Lago are strong, but the supposed crime itself is rather technical and relatively minor. Hillary Clinton, who stored highly sensitive government documents on her homebrew server, never faced federal charges. Neither did President Biden, Vice President Pence, or Bill Clinton's former National Security Advisor, Sandy Berger. Why then charge the candidate who is is in a virtual tie with the incumbent against whom he is running? The The current indictment involves far more serious accusations, but the evidence seems speculative. And he goes on. So what we're seeing here is, again, Alan Dershowitz is seeing this. This is a political prosecution. This is not a criminal prosecution. This is a political prosecution. Now, again, if there is actual evidence of criminality, and I mean serious, not the nonsense they've been coming up with, by all means, charge Mr. Trump. The problem is, the stuff they've been coming up with, it's like, uh, you know, you're 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 claiming that you're you're getting somebody on uh, assault with a deadly weapon when you find out all they did was shake the vending machine because their candy bar didn't fall out. That's what I've been seeing here and that really says a lot about the state of our department of injustice. Now before I go, how about a little bit of maybe good news, maybe a glimpse that things aren't as bad as we may think it is. I found this article on News with Views, uh, and to be fair, News with Views does pu- publish some of my articles sometimes, but I, I found this one interesting. Um, <laughs> the-, the-, the author, Lee Dugan, uh, makes a statement, he says, You learn this in law school. Never ask a witness a question whose answer you don't already know. One surprise can blow your whole case to kingdom come. With that maxim firmly not in mind, Oregon State University blithely embarked on a survey of engineering and computer science students. The object of the survey was to see what this was the students' attitude toward the sacred cow, LGBTQ, etc. Then, horror struck. Out of 349 students surveyed, 50 submitted mocking responses that astonished the surveyors. Oh, the humanity! students identified as attack helicopters called the question stupid and pointless which they were and generally displayed a deplorable lack of reverence toward the idol lgbtq etc slurs and hate speech galore and he goes on and on talking about uh, uh Luna university and and how these people reacted and uh, but okay out of almost 350 students 50 mocked the the, the survey That's what, one out of seven, roughly, mocked. These are college students in Oregon, Oregon State University, ladies and gentlemen, mocked this nonsense, said it was stupid and pointless. Maybe there is hope for the rising generation. Maybe all is not lost. Maybe they just want us to think that so they will sit down and shut up and, and let them take everything away. Mr. Dugan went on to say, University officials concluded that the science and technology departments were breeding grounds for fascist ideologues. They were thinking they'd better add some compulsory make-your-mind-right courses before allowing students to sign up for STEM curriculum. You have no business fiddling with a computer if you can't name 50 genders and pledge allegiance to them all. I'm beginning to like this guy. I like the way he puts a, a paragraph together. But it's what do you see? How much of this LGBTQ nonsense is not what people actually think? It's what they've been indoctrinated with and what they're afraid to say anything about because they may be called names or maybe they may be sent to, well, we'll call it the higher education version of a re-education camp. Maybe there's hope for that future yet. I'd love to. If you're one of those 50 students that mocked this and you happen to be listening, please reach out and let me know. I'd be more than happy to, to put your point of view on this radio program to show that no, you're not a fascist. It's actually the university that is being fascist, that you're not allowed to disagree, you're not allowed to have a separate point of view. The state, because this is Oregon State University, the state will tell you what it is you can think. And if you don't think that way, well, we'll send you to the re-education camps. These are the fascists, ladies and gentlemen. They call us fascists. They're calling these students fascists. It's they that are the fascists. They are, I don't know if they're projecting or they're just that stupid. I don't know which. And to a certain extent, I don't really care which. If you're one of the 50 that mocked this, contact me through the website, constitutionstudy.com. I'd love to hear more about what was going on. Because just as young H stood up to his elementary school, here we have 50 students possibly standing up to their university, their university of higher indoctrination. Let's get back to the point where we can think free. Not just walk free, but think free. Where other ideas are allowed and not considered uh, fascist simply because they disagree with the current political agenda of those in, in, in higher education, in politics, in punditry. Let us be free. Let's teach the rising generation to be free. Even, you know, even if H were wrong, I'd rather have him stand up for what he believes than to simply kowtow to what the indoctrinators-in-chief want him to believe. And I'm glad for these 50 students. And I wonder, of of the 300 remaining students, how many of them thought about a mocking response, but were too cowed, too enslaved to the system to actually say something. Wouldn't that be interesting to find out? You know, people talk about American democracy, which we're not, we're a republic. But we talk about being the land of the free and the home of the brave. That's how we end our national anthem. And I keep pointing out, you cannot be the land of the free if we are not the home of the brave. Whether you're a seven-year-old boy standing up to the bullies in your school, or a college student giving mocking responses to a stupid and pointless survey, we need people brave enough to stand up. I'm reminded of the story of Captain John Parker. He was in command of the Massachusetts militia at the Battle of Lexington. When the British marched on Lexington Green and found the militia there, the commander of the British, uh, the, the British unit ordered the militia to lay down their arms and disperse. Captain John Parker said to his troops, Stand your ground don't fire unless fired upon but if they mean to have war let it begin here we need more of that we need more men like nathan hale when caught as a spy before he was hung says i regret i have but one life to give for my country we need men and women willing to stand that's what i'm trying to do with part of the patriots program Find out more at constitutionstudy.com patriots. But I've got the constitutional scholars, the educational portion, where we will learn about the Constitution and how to defend and assert our rights and do so legally. The committees of correspondence where we can communicate, make sure that we keep the lines of communication open so we can learn about the H's and, and the students here at Oregon State University and others and see where our rights being defended, where our rights being infringed, so that we can activate the third part the Minutemen, the men and women willing to stand up at a moment's notice and defend their rights and go to the defense of others' rights. That's what we want. That's what we need. We need people that will return us to the home of the brave. Because until we are once again the home of the brave, we will cease to be the land of the free. There's no such thing as the land of the free and the home of the coward. Maybe it's time that we decided for ourselves, what will we give for our freedom? Freedom is not free. What will we pay for our liberty? Or, more importantly, what will we pay to protect the rights, the liberty, and the future of our children and our children's children? Now, I hope you'll come back and join us here every weekday for the Constitution Study at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. All of my shows go to podcasts generally a day or two after they're heard on the radio, and you can find them in your favorite podcast app. But do me a favor, subscribe to the show, leave me a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find the Constitution Study. You can find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. So please share them share these these good news share the strengthening of our republic and in doing so share the blessings of liberty